Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to our thought-provoking podcast with myself, actor, writer, director and deep thinker, Libby MacArthur, counsellor, life coach and all-round mountain man, Ross Hislop, and compassionate, strong advocate for women, motivational speaker and broadcaster, Anne Hughes. In this series of podcasts, we talk about the things that we hardly ever talk about. We attempt to unpack the obvious, important, enormous life topics, questions and controversial issues that no one hardly ever mentions or wants to discuss. Because it makes, well, at least some of us, feel a tad uncomfortable. Nothing here is overlooked. This is The Elephant in the Room. I learned so much from this week's podcast. We were charged with the task of analysing the notion of co-dependency. Being co-dependent, i.e. having a mental, emotional, physical and or spiritual reliance on a partner, friend or family member was a bit alien to me. I've always seen myself as a kind of chronic independent. (laughs) Me and my dog, Jen Dog, will conquer the world alone. (laughs) But life's just not like that, is it? as I very quickly found out when I put this notion to my colleagues, Ross and Dan. What I found out was that codependency can come in all shapes and sizes and is really quite an unhealthy dynamic. This was new territory for me and I really hope you learn as much from this podcast as I did. Enjoy. know very much about this. I, I, I suspect it's probably in my life in spades, but in terms of the actual title, we're looking at co-dependency. So we've got Ross, our counsellor, in the room. So Ross, I know myself as a chronic independent. There's something that I think is a, a kind of dysfunctional element of, of, of my way of being in my world, as, I'm, uh, uh, as I see myself as being independent to my own detriment. Is that because I'm terrified of being a co-dependent? So you've set yourself up as an independent, is what you're saying, that you don't need anyone for anything. What do you think would be the answer to that question, Libby, if I put it back to you? (laughs) (laughs) If you were to know, if you were to know, yeah. Um, Yeah, when when I think about codependency, I think about the fact that a guy told me once that if you were a crab fisherman, (laughs) fisherman, a, a crabberman, uh, then if you were in your boat, right, and you were catching crabs, if you had your, what do you call it, a keel pot, a real pot, you know, if you had your basket for the crabs, right, if you put one 
crab in, you need to put the, the lid on. Uh-huh. But if you put two crabs in, you don't need the lid because they hold each other back. As soon as one starts going <laughs> sideways, the other one goes at you and huggles it and brings it back. So when I think about codependency, I think about it being something that would hold, two people that would hold each other back. And my view of me is, if I was in partnership in the way that I haven't been in my life, I'd be always thinking about their happiness. They, you know, my, my pal Irene would say, say the trouble is uh, he'd be looking after him and you'd be looking after him and they'd be looking after you. Mm. So my, my, my scarcity belief is that that's my two bits of the seesaw. Either I'm a chronic independent or I'm one of those crabs and we hold each other back and it's like I don't have enough faith in the middle of the seesaw. It's like I've kind of gone, well, obviously, I, I couldn't be in a co-creative interdependent relationship. Mines would be, oh, screwed up, no, co-dependent, and all oh, living in each other's pockets, and me going, are you all right, darling? Do you want a beer? Do you want something to eat? Are you, well, you, know, you know, I'd be doing all that kind of stuff. So better just cut my losses and just be on my own and do everything myself. Does that make Absolutely. sense? Absolutely. And I think when we use the word codependency, uh, we immediately, for those of the those people that have heard of it, we immediately think of it within the world of addiction and recovery from addiction. And, you know, there might be That's a partner right. that enables their husband to drink. But there's actually a much deeper uh, dysfunctional relationship going on there than perhaps in the world of addiction. It's like we could chronically keep our child sick. We could consciously keep our partner poor um, you know in dysfunctional relationships effectively if we start to talk about this subject which we're going to be doing today which is a really difficult subject is where we've actually kept our partner small or people in our environment small in order to give us a sense of authority or well-being because actually the dysfunctional relationship that's going on started with self. It started early on in childhood and we've maintained those dysfunctional relationships into adulthood. And from my perspective, today's relationships that I see round about me at all levels, be that relationships with partners, friends, family, or even government or churches, are completely dysfunctional. We're in a society of dysfunctional relationships at the core and the heart of them all. And we look after other people to give us a sense of well-being. And I said this earlier on before we started the podcast, uh, I looked at my own codependent relationship style for the first time in 2010. I went to three meetings and stopped going. And then in 2014, after another breakup and another failed relationship, I went back to Codependence Anonymous for the second time. I maintained going through the process for three years. I've been seven years past uh, working a programme of recovery for codependence, and it is the most insidious disease there is. And I just want to put this into perspective. The fellowship, the 12-step process, the AA, a mutual aid that's there to support our community. There's Alcoholics Anonymous, there's Cocaine Anonymous, there's Narcotics Anonymous. And you could go to the fellowship Google and there'll be a dozen meetings throughout our city centres across the UK today. Every day you will find a meeting for any of the above afflictions. But if you go and look for a CODA meeting, there's one in Glasgow on a Wednesday and one in Edinburgh on a Sunday. And to me, that's just tapsy-turvy. 
because at the root of all addiction and the root of all disconnection at the heart of the matter is codependency we're living in a completely codependent structure it's so insidious and toxic to talk about and it starts really young doesn't it it starts really really young it starts starts off in childhood starts off in childhood and we can't talk about codependency without talking about narcissism because codependency and narcissism go hand in hand and it's basically where our needs were never met from our caregivers from an emotionally unavailable parent or an anxious parent or an alcoholic or drug addict parent, that the only way that we thought that we could get our needs met were through this dysfunctional um, relationship style, which is called codependency, which we're going to discuss today. And I think, I like you, Libby, when we had this as an elephant, I was like, oh, what does it even mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've spent a lot of time on in there on the, the definition of it being, you know, someone who can't function on their own or that mental, emotional, physical and or spiritual reliance on a partner or a friend or a family member and actually I think where I get to I think I believe actually it was coined by Alcoholics Anonymous actually now that you're saying that in the 50s but I think where I get to is am I someone who can't function on their own no I believe I probably can function on my own do I want to function on my own not particularly no and I don't see anything wrong with that and I don't know where that that statement will take us. Well, where well, that becomes, where that becomes, like we look at it, as you said, it's coined in the AA and it's been getting used around about addiction. But for an example, where you have got a fear of abandonment, if any of us have a fear of abandonment in the room and we end up with a partner, what we may do is make that partner sick. We unconsciously make that person sick. Now, we could go into an absolute sci-fi horror film where we actually do give our partner dog tablets to make them feel sick and we give them a different prescription to what that's at the other end of the spectrum that's when you're into psychopathology and people do that they do but and we all can think about partners that we know in our own lives you know folk who've got together and, and 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 they're in partnership together and we can see the knight might shine in armour, the damsel in distress. No, always men and women in those roles, you know what I mean? And we can see the wee boy being mothered by, by his partner, you know? And again, maybe Is not... it bigger, though, than just being in a romantic relationship, for example? Absolutely. It's about people oh, codependent with their children, with their work, their well, boss. Can I ask you, you something know? that you're passionate the about? That I know that you're passionate about. Our society has created a society of dependence and then the government is dependent on them being dependent on them. It's actually like, I might go off on a total one because it suits society. We kid on that it's an inconvenience that people are on benefits. Do we actually want everybody to be their best self, to shine bright and no, to make it in the don't. world? No, we don't. Because then we'll expose them. We don't. We really don't. Society doesn't want... Me, I mean, we're going to go away doing. I could go into a hundred elephants here because it's going to go away doing into class and everything totally. for me. Just does society want me to shine my light bright in the world, or does it actually want me, mm. a wee lassie that grew up in Govan, to actually be the person that serves in a restaurant or cleans the buildings? I come from a very, very long line of cleaners. That would have been sure. the industry that was handed down. When to I was me. in the John Means Community Centre in the Gorbals in the eighties, heroin was rife, you know, and all those beautiful boys and lasses that I was working with in my drama groups and stuff like that were dropping like flies, you know. And I used to say to them, not that I was talking about anything I knew, but I used to say to them, aye, that's brilliant, that's just where Thatcher wants you. 
just fucking in the gutter, you know, bring, bringing in heroin through diplomatic immunity into here and you're just doing exactly what's expected of you instead of showing up. Yeah. We need you. Man, a soup kitchen, do something, go on your feet. But, you know, this is you literally playing into the hands of this right-wing, you know, government at the moment, you know, not that it did any good. When we, can, we, we look at codependency, we start to define it as a like an over-relying or an excessive reliance on another partner, when in actual fact, that's not the truth either. It's not the case that we have an excessive reliance on another partner. And it's a codependent style, which has got a poor sense of self. Yes. It's where we have got a it's really a bit, poor isn't sense it a of bit self. Like- Manipulation, Absolutely. a bit bullying, a bit suffocation. Oh, goodness, all that. It's but like guys, a fashion. But guys, can we say that, that see, folk are actually going to face this stuff. Like, so for example, here's a, a, oh, a story. Of, we we need a backdrop of innocence. We need we need compassion for ourselves if we're actually going to face this stuff. I know. I'm just and and I'm just going to admit it's like I have been in recovery from codependency for seven years. Am I healed of it? No. But what I've learned to do is manage myself more effectively. So what I've done is I've actually stayed out of relationship. I don't have a partner. I'm single. And I have got an absolutely fantastic life and fantastic friends. I really have. I'm living the best life I have. I'm 49-year-old this year and life couldn't get any better. But I don't have a partner. And I am terrified about going into a relationship with a partner because at some level in my brain, I think I've got to give up all my hobbies. Hi. I've got to stop being who I am to be in a relationship. Partner. I would never want a partner. Can you imagine that. me and I'm sitting here going, singing me softly with his words. Um, no, who would want a partner like that? Oh, yeah, of course but not. An inequality of power. It, when you start to break it down, it's like if, if I was in a relationship with you, Anne, and you said, no, Rosh, I'm not going to the hills this weekend, I'd probably pretty much say, Anne, this isn't working. Yeah. Right? I wouldn't, al- I wouldn't say I- that, but when I've got three maids, I would have every right to say, no, you can't because you've got three maids. <laughs> yes. And that's not going to work this weekend. Yeah. But if you yes. didn't have maids, I wouldn't see why that would be an issue. Then that's, your, that's a wrong relationship to be in, I would say. Of course it is. I would be less scared of you saying that to me than me actually throwing all my gifts away to think that that's what you expect of me. I actually have this perversion in my head that I've got to give up all my hobbies and all my friends because that's a way that I would show you how much I love you. So is that what you expect a partner to do? If you think that's, that's, that's what they want you, if you think that's what they would want of you, is that some horrible thing that you would expect of a partner? I need I need somebody that's just going to be about me. That's no going to be about them, and therefore that's a bigger question for yourself, that's a Ross Boy. Question, isn't it? Because then what you're looking for is something that's actually a wee bit messed up. Mm-hmm. Anna, if I'm willing to do that, then I'm unconsciously expecting you to do the same. Whereas if I give, it's called roles and duties. It's called is that trade off thing of um, yes. tit for tat. It's that tit for tat thing. I date for you. Do you I think done that right, Ross? You. Do you think I handled this well, right? When I was pregnant and I was on. Um, maternity leave and, and total skint, right? The Wayne star came in and said, listen, I've just seen that chess computer I love and it's on sale and it's only 30 quid, doing for 100. Now, the purse, which was the communal purse, was on the mantelpiece, right? And in a moment, I realised I had two options here, right? Because he said it's only 30 quid. Now, that was a long time ago. 30 quid was a lot of money. And it was a communal purse and it was up in the mantelpiece. So he looked at the purse and I looked at the purse, right? Now, I thought, wait a minute. This is a lose-lose for me. Because if I say I 
going by that chess computer because he loved chess and he was brilliant at it. Played postal chess and all that. He was a genius at chess. If I said, go and buy that chess computer because it'll make you happy and I love you, and I did, um, I'm doing 30 quid and I don't know how we're going to cope. If I say, what the... Are you kidding? You know, A, I'm the nagging wife, and B, he can then go to the bar and prop it up with his pal and go, I would have got that chess computer if it wasn't for her. I'm living a life where she's the one that's going... And I just realised it was a win-win for him. He got to be in the bar complaining about me or got a chess computer, and it was a lose-lose for me. Either I, I was an nagging wife or I was doing 30 quid. And I thought, this is a lose-lose for me and a win-win for him. What am I going to do? So what I said was, on your head be it. I mean, he slagged me for months and months after that. Who speaks like that? On your head be it. But it was the only thing I could come up with, was on your head be it. Guess what he chose? Their chess computer. No, of course he didn't, because he knew we didn't have 30 quid. Mm. He just wanted me to be the and guy that gave him permission. So when I said, on your head, be it, he didn't buy the chess computer. Do you think I handled that well, Ross? You handled it how you handled it, but how's that, how's that codependent on because, uh, you were putting the responsibility back to him? Yeah, because he was saying to me, I need you to be the guy that's either going to make me feel great because I've got a chess computer, or make me feel great because well, I can go... It would have been codependent if you'd have said I. Right. And then you would have done without. Yes, ah. yes. So it was actually an act of service So is there yourself. something about on your head be it, which is the antidote to codependency? What is the antidote to codependency? That's an I interesting question. I think, it, is it right that codependency is a learned behaviour? It's something that we learn. Where do we learn it from? I don't know. We learn it from society. You said at the start, Ross, about that codependent relationship we have with the church, not me personally, but a lot of people... I have to go to mass every week or I'll go to hell. Aye. And then I have this, you know, people that they go to mass every week but are awful human beings. I don't go to mass, but I still don't think I'm going to hell because I didn't go to mass. I think you're probably still going to hell because you're not a very nice person. Do you know that way? So it's like that. I didn't mean to point it, you know. Um, But it's like, so it's that. we're, We're so codependent in so many ways with so many things. That is it just society's norm now? Well, I think the Western and mindset... And we just all keep learning it. The Western mindset has become addicted to being independent because the Western mindset has taught us that being dependent is pathetic. So what people do is they end up getting into this fiercely independent role on the risk of being pathetic. So they become addicted to that perspective when in actual fact there isn't any truth in that. And those that think they're independent and portray to the world that they're Mr or Mrs Independent are actually chronically inferior because they're addicted to a structure that's not helpful. But, oh I, I'm independent and I don't need anybody for anything and I make my own reality and I make my own luck and I make my own world. That sounds all really good in theory. But in actual fact, the truth that's underneath it is they're absolutely running away from being dependent because they're terrified of that because society has taught them that dependency is pathetic. So even an independent person that's got their life on the surface sorted out isn't (laughs) actually enjoying it because they're they're fiercely... But anything that... An idea doesn't leave its source. So anything that seeds up, a thing comes through with us. So if fears... You know, you you could you could be as independent as it, but it's all based in fear. Then it's just going to seed up stuff, you know. Oh my God, it's um, ridiculous here. If I start to say something like, "Look at Elon Musk, right? Try to go to space and all that," you would think he's the most independent man in the world. He's a billionaire, right? Mm-hmm. We are in a co- I'm in a codependent relationship with Elon Musk, I'm in a, because he's got all his ridiculous wealth. 
But equally, I want to be able to order that new pull of the night and for it to arrive tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Are we dependent on Prime? Amazon Prime? <laughs> Co-dependent on Amazon Prime. So we all can criticise Elon Musk, as many people do. I was talking to somebody this morning that was going off in one about Elon Musk and how vulgar the amount of money he's spending to go to space is, because it is vulgar. But actually, we are in, we are in a very codependent relationship because I give a lot of my money. <laughs> and a lot of our energy even talking about him. Exactly. And, you know, we, we, we again, it's breaking this down to not necessarily it being about our relationships with our partners or our families, but even our bosses uh-huh. and our world. And have any of us ever been in a relationship or found ourselves in a position where we feel like we're walking in eggshells when this other person with walks bosses, into the room? With bosses, So the minute that we feel that, that, that we're walking in eggshells, so we've got, again, let me be a wee bit mindy and talk about the brain structures and survival mechanisms. When we feel fear, which is walking on eggshells, there's a survival mechanism struck up in our brain, which is called fight or flight, freeze, fawn or flip. I don't understand now, flip. I understand the other four. Okay. So flip is where we align with the perpetrator in order to make them feel that we are like them as a safety mechanism, although we're nothing like them. So we align with their belief systems in order for our safety. Gosh, and that's different from fawn. Fawn is just trying to be the people pleaser and and placate the monsters. So when we're then feeling as if we're walking in eggshells with our boss, we've got fight. We're not really going to fight our boss because we need them to pay our wages, right? We've got flight, well, we're not going to get up for our desk and run out because we want them to pay our wages. Could still be fantasising about something else, we've which got, is flight. We've got freeze, right? But predominantly, the survival mechanism that we do with our bosses, we get into fawn. We start to people please them. We give ourselves away. That's codependency. I've walked away every time for a bad boss. I've not had that many jobs in my life. It's why I work for myself now, because the last bad boss. At first, I thought about fight, and I maybe did that for a wee while. And then I thought, nah, you're all right. So I actually walked out my work, not knowing how I was going to pay my mortgage that month or feed my wains. But what it came down to for me is I would not be just, I would rather have the stress of the conversation with the bank than have you mistreat me. So go fuck yourself, pal. I, I think there's something about and, um, if you're seeing it, you're being it. So see, see when I feel that kind of thing of, oh my God, I'm judging you for being the last person I want to see in the morning. <laughs> I think there's gold in them their hills I want to find out something about me and I think that obviously that's never more true than when you're in a relationship you know with, with somebody in a kind of romantic way do you, you know, know what I'm fascinated by just as we're talking about it where does the line come because I would say nothing happens in isolation you know we're all connected and totally. everything right you know if that wee that wee boy in China hadn't eaten that bad I mean god it would have been a different 18 months we've had so there's a line where it's codependency and it's unhealth, unhelpful and it's manipulative and it's suffocating and it's obsessive. But then there's a line where oh, I'm codependent. I know I can't do life on my own. I no, know but that's I no need. codependent. That's co-creative interdependence. So it's different. Well, to- totally. People talk about having an expectation of other people. That's not a sense of entitlement. I have a huge expectation of you because right. because I know you love me and I expect you. To, Tell me the truth and you know and show up and I have a huge expectation of you, Anne, that you'll never rip me off, that you'll never undermine me, you know. We have expectations and that's good. 
you know? But it's that thing of um, when fear's the driver, you know, like there's, like I say to myself quite often, there's worse things than being on your own. You know, that's true, but it doesn't have to be something that you live by. There's worse things being on your own. You know, that, that that's just something that should be amongst other insights, not sure. kind of the insight of my life, you know? And I have got abandonment complexes, so I am really hearing what you're saying about never wanting to do that to another person. I don't ever want to say to another person, you can't go and bungee jump in Australia because I love you. Unless you've got three wings, as Anne said. Because then there's a a family responsibility that needs to be adhered to. But then again, you said, you know, if he wants to go and bungee jump in Australia, then, you know, on your head be it, you know? And I think as we're attempting to get our listeners to get a felt sense of, am I maybe caught in some of these feelings? It's asking ourselves questions like, do you sometimes phone up your pals and say, I just spoke to Libby in this way, do you think I was right or wrong? And you're constantly checking how you've interacted with other people in other situations with other people. Well, then what you're doing is you're no validating yourself, validating your own truth, and you're asking other people. Now, you can ask your pals what their opinion might be, but when you've no got an opinion of your own... Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And you're needing them to check that. That's codependency. That's codependency. I think it's also lying to yourself, quite honestly, because you've always, you always don't know what you think. You know, and it's funny, I've got what Gary would call himself my wartime consigliere. That's because I only ever ask his opinion. 
when I'm in a bad situation. What does he call you? War. I, he says I, I, I refer to him as my wartime consigliere. <laughs> he coined the phrase, but now I say, right, I need your wartime consigliere. <laughs> Because he'll give me a more balanced view, maybe, on it. And I've got a couple of pals who I would always go to write, I think I've maybe been too on of the day. What do you think? And sometimes I'm like, ah, you are. Or sometimes I'm like, no, 100% you're right. So I have that. That is a very healthy codependent relationship, I would say, I have there. I'm starting to worry, I'm at an unhealthy. You don't know think you're in a co-creative interdependent. I need to start saying I'm in a co-creative interdependent. 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 I, think, I think you're right, and you can't be blaming other folk. You can't kind of go, I've got any sacrifice for you. I knew you bloody owe me. You choose look to sacrifice, you choose to sacrifice. Look, look at you. Choose it or lose me. it. I quite often say to my girlfriends, look, choose it or lose it. Somebody, one woman picked up the book, the book in front of her at one point and said to me, look, this book sums me up. And the title of the book was Women Who Love Too Much. I was laughing, I was going, it's ironic. The title is this nothing to do with love. You go into overstretch and sacrifice. Nobody's a saint. It's like squeezing putty. There's going to be bleed through. You're going to get them back. If you overstretch for somebody, go into sacrifice for somebody, you're going to make them hurt for everything about your life. You're going to make them hurt for your own unhappiness. So so I think my girlfriends despair of me because I'm always going, make yourself the villain of the piece. Make yourself the villain of the piece. Just know when it's all gone pear-shaped, it's your fault. And that way... You know, you can you can forgive yourself and move on. But if you're the victim, you'll be here to Tuesday trying to get somebody else to change. Other folk will not change because you, you know don't like it. It's been a great thing just looking at that sort of a definition of um, codependency and that being the one that apologises even when you've not done anything. And my daughter, who's nearly 18, she always apologises, drives me mad. It drives me half my nut that she apologises so much. So anyway, other side of the pandemic, she's got her part-time job back as a waitress. And she's in a five-star hotel and they have told her, you need to stop apologising because it admits liability if you apologise for something that has not happened. And then people will want something for free. So if you say sorry because they spilt a drink in themselves, they'll go, aye, it was you that spilt it. Even though she never... Totally. She, all of a sudden, the last couple of months, this lassie doesn't apologise anymore. And oh my God, it is a beautiful thing to behold. But you know, we, 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 I, I personally would like to also talk about that thing of not being an overstretch and not being in sacrifice, but showing up for other people, actually showing, properly showing up for other people. Like I've got a pal, right? And it's a big joke between her and I, and we've been pals for 40 years. But when I, if I was to ask her, are you going to, Boots, listen, would you pick up while you're there? Would you pick up for me? You know, she would go, eh. So no matter what I would ask her, and I don't ask folk for, for things being a chronic independent, no matter what it would be, she'd go, eh. And I hate her. I hate her for it, right? I'm like, and she's like, I'm allowed to go, eh. I'm allowed to just have a moment where I pause and consider, would I be an overstretch there? Would I be going to sacrifice? Can I be bothered? Do I want to? Whereas you, Libby, you say, I sure. And then work out how you're going to do it. And then end up running out of time and then end up being late for me when we're supposed to be going for a drink because you've bloody gone and done a favour or something. And so we argue about that, right? Because she would always go, eh. Whereas I would go, I sure. And then go, right, how am I going to do that? If I do that first and then I can pick up. So, I don't know. People might say to me something like, um, well, I knew you would show up for me if I asked you that. I like so that. this is interesting because what I'm hearing for you, Libby, is that you're a chronic independent, but you like other people to depend on you. Well, that's, so you're all right with them being codependent well, on you. Well, I never said I want people to depend on me because if they depended on me, they'd be in trouble. Because as you know, guys, I'll often be far too busy, uh, late, 
uh, not available. Um, Are we able to see that being a chronic independent is actually being dependent? It's the opposite side of the, the same coin. It's the head and the tail of exactly, exactly the same coin. It's exactly the same thing. So it's like... But can I just say, know, it's not the whole truth. You know, often the times... Neither are the truth. The only truth is interdependency and co-creation. That is the only truth. But if you want to get sure. to interdependency and co-creation, you can't walk through the door of independence to get there. You've got to walk through the door of dependence vulnerability. to get there. Which it's is vulnerability. vulnerability. And then we've got all these labels, that we've, we've, we've got all these associations to dependency where we were in our dependent stages in our development, zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, our needs weren't met. So any time that we feel dependent as a 48, 50, 60 year old person, it immediately mirrors back to that place where our need wasn't met and we will not go there. But by the mere merit of no going there actually means we're there. Okay. By the mere merit of saying I'm not going to go there, I'm going to be an independent means you're no, but actually can we just, there. But can we also just say, as a grown woman, being independent as opposed to being dependent is an upgrade. Being a chronic independent who's never get married when she said or like she wanted to get married is an issue, right? So I think being independent has given me a lot of great things, right? I love being self-employed, having my own motor, having my own pets, my own house. I've never been financially dependent on anyone since I left the house, right? So when I was 17, I left my mum and daddy's house and I have never, ever been financially dependent on another soul since. I pride myself in that, right? Is there issues about chronic independence? Yes, yes, there is, for sure, right? But I never want to be a dependent. And maybe it's today with my mummy. My mummy had four boys, four girls and three nervous breakdowns and was a dependent. There was nothing she could do, but it's dawn on a Friday night with her out, and I don't think she ever got enough housekeeping. But that's another story. Um, it's about it's about the story in the past that we're living through a lens darkly. And that's what when I was trying to understand codependency, that's what came across for me, that it's a learned behaviour that comes from your past. Well, if... It's so into us, in It's so into us, because if our parents weren't emotionally available for us, and back in our generation, you would either have an alcoholic less so drug addiction but it was there in the 60s and 70s emotionally unavailable an absent parent single parent families less so in the 70s became more common in the 80s and 90s etc but what we are all spending our time looking at is our smartphones we've got a child right beside us and we're fixated on our phone there's real codependency isn't there right so then that's creating the child to think that the smartphone is more important than them and the child's not getting its needs met in an effective way. So what the child starts to do is get its need met for attention, to be seen, to be heard, to be met in what we would then call in our adult language is a manipulative way. Yes. It's almost like, let me give you an example. 10, 15 years ago, at my office was down the hill, a mile down the hill from uh, the village that I live in. And I walked up the hill on a summer's day, right? And I chapped the back door and my pal's wife opened the door and she was a scary woman. And I was like, that is calling in. She's like, I know he's away down his dad's. He said you'll be back in five minutes. So I sat down, right? And I noticed this is where I caught one of my negative traits and my character flaws. I started flapping my shirt saying, oh man, that's awfully warm out there. That hill, God, it must be about a 50 degree radiant in the way up. Man alive, I'm absolutely exhausted. I'm absolutely knackered. And she turned around and says, do you want a glass of water, Ross? <laughs> I said, aye, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. I put the kitchen in their house. I plumbed the sink in. 
I probably took him to Ikea to get the glasses. I'm his best pal. Mm-hmm. I've known him longer than she'll ever know him because he's been in my life since I was a child. Mm-hmm. I had every right to go up and get into the kitchen cupboard and get a glass mm-hmm. and turn the tap on or myself. Ask, or ask for, or a, ask glass. for oh. a glass of water. Yeah. But rather than being rejected by asking or being made to feel as if I didn't have the right to do that in my pal's house, mm-hmm. I went around about getting that need met mm-hmm. manipulatively. Mm-hmm. It's like going in through the back door. Mm-hmm. Instead of just walking up to the front door and saying, can I have, please? What we do is we utilise all this energy going yeah. right round the yeah. scheme, right round the houses and in through the back door. And to that's try a and codependent get, system. To try and get our attention. I remember there was a lovely moment bringing up my, my, my son when I said to him, well, it's a bit attention seeking, and he said, um, "Is there a problem with that, Mum?" That... And I went, "No, it's just manipulative." And he, after that, he came into the room going, "Attention, attention!" We said, "I'm so white," which was lovely. So if we if we need attention, then if we're attention seeking, then again we're coming to that thing of the elephant is that it's all coming for a belief in scarcity, no good enoughness. Absolutely. Do you think we've got just because you held up your phone when you were talking about there about kids and? You're on your phone. If we get a codependent relationship with our phones, yes. your social media of accounts, course. they need us because they're Facebook. selling advertising. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they need us, but we need them because the scroll never ends. Because yeah. I don't believe necessarily in addiction per se and the meaning of it in the word, and I sit more in a camp of trauma and the camp and trauma that I sit in is, is it's coming from a place of disconnection. And because we feel so disconnected to ourselves, and our ability to be with ourselves is getting lesser and lesser, we will search for any stimuli in our environment. And what's the most stimulating thing that everybody's got in their pocket these days? A phone. It's like playing roulette. The minute you switch it on, the amount of likes you've got, you know, getting interaction, feeling as if somebody actually gives a shit about what we've posted. But if I know that when I'm scrolling through a well-known social media site, I actually just hit like and don't even look at half the stuff. Mm. (laughs) So if I know that I do that, then I know unconsciously that that's what other folk are doing to me. So really, we're posting stuff up there into an invisible ghost. It's just (laughs) getting lost in the cloud. It is. That hungry ghost. And it's therefore, it's about things like this podcast. Do we dare to have that own endeavour? And our own selves, like we're having a great conversation, we're thinking differently. I love to stimulate my mind and be thinking about things differently. It's my big thing that there's always a different way to see stuff. Does it matter to me whether 10 people or 10,000 people listen to this? Theoretically, I try for it naughty. I, I continually see where a lot of the stuff that I put out, because you know how I love all my positive stuff. It's not about how many people read it, it's about the intention with which I put it into Absolutely. the world. The world. Absolutely. No, I can't say that I'm always 100% living by that. It does matter to me that people, I hope these are enjoying this and I hope there's thousands of these listening to it. So it does matter <laughs> to me. But ultimately, would I do, even if I only thought 10 people were going to listen? I, I, would. I would. I would. I would. If we touch one person, Absolutely. that's all that matters. If one person goes and says, I can't go on like this any longer through listening to this, our job here is done. Aye. That's something I used to always say, you know, whenever I've been doing workshops and that kind of personal development type stuff and you know, my job is to make myself redundant. You know, that's that's your that's the gig. I've got students for acting, or students for creative storytelling. You know, your job is to actually impart as much sharing knowledge as you can, you know, and, and, and then get out the way. You want I mean I love Khalil Gibran about um, your children are not your children, they're arrows from the bow. You know, I just love that idea of you know, the idea that you could be 
you know, and I've said that to all the children I've taught and, and my son as well, you know, like, um, I'm nothing to do with you. You know, you've got your own, you've got your own choices. What do you think? What's your tummy telling you? What's your toes telling you? You know? So yes. how do you think we start to therefore reduce the codependent tendencies? Can I tell you a story on that subject, man? This is what I think, right? This is, I think, again, as elephants here in the room, we quite often come to this idea of accountability and, and, and authenticity, and I think these are buzzwords for us and, and certainly elephant words. Right, I, I, this is a story I want to tell you, just to start wrapping up where 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 we would go to heal this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I worked in the Great Eastern once, it was during Mayfest, and believe it or not, I was funded to do a drama workshop with six men who were all down and outs, right? So they were all men off the street, right? They, they, were, they were living in the Great Eastern and I was there to do a drama workshop with them, right? And when we started to improvise and, and think about sketches and start sharing stuff and, and create a wee kind of play that we were going to show to the workers, what the joke was that they were all married to the same woman, mm-hmm. right? So how that came about was we called her wifey and what it looked like as a joke was that wifey had ultimately left them. Now wifey had um, either ran away with the postman or divorced them or got sick and left the house through illness or died or but whatever happened, wifey got out of there. And who wifey left behind was completely infantilised, completely emasculated. And it turned out that these guys had all been married to the same kind of woman. And this kind of woman did everything. She opened up all the brown envelopes, she paid all the bills, she looked after all the wains, she constantly said, what would you be about me, you bloody useless lump? She did all the housework, she did... He did very, very little to keep their life ticking over emotionally, physically, psychologically. She was in charge of everything. And it was like, that was the only place in life, in her world, that she had any power. And she was using him. And basically, when she died, ran away with the postman, whatever... What she left behind was a five-year-old, a five-year-old who couldn't cook an egg. And what every single one of those six men told me was that alcohol, which was in their life, chronic drinking and using alcohol was much later. And losing the house was through alcohol abuse. But the first thing that happened in the trajectory of them ending up in the gutter, in the street, was she left. And what we looked at was that in society, it looked like she was a pure catch, a total loving wife. Fantastic, did everything. So for me, the accountability, the authenticity is, I'm thinking, is this idea of we need to look at how, what does love look like? How do you empower your loved ones? And it's not by doing everything for them, infantilising them, emasculating them, or the opposite, the damsel in distress, the night wink shining armour, it's the same thing. To speak up for the woman that left, I bet you that it was the same six men that they left, it was the same six men that raised them to no day anything for them. Totally. And for them having to do everything. And for that to be the only way they could protect themselves in the world. So what if the woman but, actually said to her man, well, "Please help me. I cannot do this." There for her to say it because he was doing a pub. <laughs> well, I wasn't doing the pub, and I, the reason I went to Codependence Anonymous seven years ago was because I had a feeling that I had lost a sense of myself within the relationship, and metaphorically and in truth, this is exactly what happened. When I moved in with my partner, my clothes started to become less in the wardrobe and she started dressing me and buying me shirts. Now, that's not to blame her. I accepted it because I, I never had a sense so of self. So that was codependent So that there. was codependent there. So and how do beca- we be careful about who we blame in that It's not about blame. I'm blaming me. I'm not blaming I'm blaming me, if anybody, because if I had a sense of self, I'd have said, thanks for that shirt, but mm-hmm. take it back. Uh-huh. It was a nice shirt. 
It's a lovely shirt, so I'd wear it. But what I started to metaphorically notice was when we moved in together, my side of the wardrobe was fully 100% of my clothes that I'd gathered over the last decade. What started to happen was that particular partner started to bring clothes in subtly and under the radar, and my stuff started to go in the bin until I then became a prodigy of her mindset, which then is where we start to see codependency and narcissism because both in the same hand. Because it obviously served you in some sense, but you course. don't be aware of it. Was of course, in your and, wardrobe. And, that, and that's why this is a brilliant elephant. This is because the story I'm telling you about the I Great Eastern... I don't think Eastern, it's funny. No. I don't see it as a funny thing for me no. not to be aware of what was in the wardrobe. But, well, it's not having awareness of a sense of self. Well, see these guys, can I just so say, see these six men... When somebody admits that they've not got a sense of self... I don't see the humour or hilarity in no knowing what was in the wardrobe. It's what it's, it's no knowing who I was. And it's why those six guys thing. were in the gutter because at the end of this workshop with the Great Eastern, it was a total revelation for these exactly. guys. They thought they were total losers. They had came out of those six marriages saying, My wife was a saint, my wife was a goddess, I was shit under shoe. And, and, and it was a, it was an incredible insight for them to actually be able to say, oh, my God, yep. oh, my God, if she'd just been able to share with me, she didn't need to run away with the postman, she didn't need to get sick. Do you know what I'm saying? It's no blame game, man. It's, it's no basically how do we love each other? And I think we love if, each other if, by calling each other to be the best that we can be for yourself. Yeah. Not for and the other person. lost, I suppose, in a relationship well, where I'm no longer me and now half of you. Like when people say, where's your other half? That makes me shudder. Me too. I don't have another half. Me too. I am a whole all on my own. But we own it therefore own that, don't we? We own it yeah. own. And I think if we're going to heal domestic violence and abusive relationships, we don't laugh at the person no knowing what was in their wardrobe. Mm. Yep. Because that's not going to also, heal domestic violence in relationships, laughing at what's no, no in the wardrobe. I, but the people know knowing who they are because we've now got young women that are getting fillers, yeah. they're getting plastic tits. They're getting their teeth done, they're getting their face done and they're driving the white Range Rover Sport that the boyfriend is providing. What, do we laugh at them because they didn't know what was in their wardrobe? Or do we empower them to get a sense of who they are so that they can go out Mm. and help other young women and men? But also, Ross, can we hold a space that's compassionate enough for people to say, I was the shadow in that relationship? Absolutely. It looked from society's eyes like I was the guy that, oh, gee, you know. Like, you know, I know men that would dress their wains and she would completely undress and put totally different clothes of on course. going, how, what do you do? And I would go, that, that's her da, let her da put on, you know. So so how do we hold a space with enough compassion to say, you can afford to say, oh God, I'm doing this for me, not for you. Oh my God, I'm the villain here. Oh my God, I was trying to be a loving person. I was trying to be a good person. I was trying to nurture you and look after you. But actually what's happening is I'm just undermining you. I'm just treating you as if you're a wee boy when you're a grown man. Aye. I'm just treating you as if you're a damsel in distress. So with a big pokey yeah. hat, with a D on it. For yeah. And that's a lacking, isn't it? That, and ours, like, and I was nae mother or I don't yeah, feel mother totally, or therefore I will mother you. Totally. Or Take accountability. Like, with the, let's be And we'll never get to a healing through undermining anybody. Never. No. Never. We'll never get to that. And I think that society is based on, well, we're getting into kind of capitalist topics about sure. that's what they're bred to do, undermine undermine the disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. We're in actual fact, we're all disadvantaged. Yeah. We're all undermining ourselves and we're all undermining okay. each other. So we, we, look- we kind of think that we're not. But and it's ironic, it's ironic that, you know, looking for the divine spark in everyone and, and actually understanding that sometimes the person we see at least in 
is the person we're in bed with. You know, and it's making me think like the word namaste that you would say at the end of a meditation or whatever. And it's the divine in me worships the divine in you. And if we could see that in each other and try to change each other. Can we just say, guys, that's a beautiful way to end this podcast. So we'll just say it to each other and to to the folk out there listening. Namaste. Namaste. (laughs) See you next time. Thank you for listening to our programme. You can find future episodes on Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. With thanks to Matt Ramsey for editing and mixing this episode. This podcast was produced by Solace Sounds. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.